This election is probably the most unique one for us because in the past there are certain parties and people that you can deal with, that you can trust. Uh, this time, I'm not going to lie to you, it's really hard. It's really hard to even find, looking at the federal list we have in WA, you know, three parties that you can uh, truly recommend that people follow. But the fate of sitting members depends on electors in the cities and those who come many miles and buy varied forms of transport to vote in outlying booths in country towns. Still in New South Wales, they can quench their thirst as hotels are open for the first time on election day. Uh, well, let's talk about your party to start with. Um, sure. Give us the history of Australian Christians in a snapshot. Uh, what is the the unique selling proposition that uh, your party brings to the the federal election coming up, not just for voters in Western Australia, but uh, all around the nation? And what's your role in the party? Yeah, so thanks for that, Dave. Well, as a party, uh, we were originally multiplied out of the Christian Democratic Party many decades ago uh, with a hope to start Australian Christians in a few different states. And so that essentially is what they've done. And over the years, they've sort of carved out their different paths where Australian Christians have run in Western Australia and Victoria traditionally. And now, particularly Western Australia is kind of our, our state where we put uh, most of our focus in. Uh, so we've been here for, gosh, over a decade now um, as Australian Christians and probably one of the only parties as far as, you know, really conservative Christian values goes that have weathered the storm with, you know, amalgamations and mergers. So we're, we're sort of the consistent ones, I'd like to think, not just battling when there's elections, which is important, but very, very involved and active in between election cycles as well. And I think that's a good point of difference. Yeah, so something that I know about Australian Christians is that, uh, and I think this is an asset, is that your defence and, and your candidates uh, have mm. a track record of defending Christian value issues such as euthanasia, pro-life uh, and, and many others that you've, that you've waged and advocated. We're hearing a lot uh, from some of the freedom parties, minor parties at the moment, about Christians in their party but they're new and unheard of and untested. Uh, and, mm -hmm. and maybe they're exactly how they describe themselves, but there's an extra degree of confidence that voters can have in the Australian Christian Party because you've been doing this for 10 years and yes. it, it's not a novel idea. And what's more, your leadership is unambiguously and unapologetically Christian. The moral compass isn't something that's... Uh, debatable or, or right. um, yet to be established. Uh, so yeah. what is the leadership structure uh, with Australian Christians? For me, I've been the state director here for six years. And over the last six years, we've really tried to foster a party that has a really solid foundation uh, and making sure the governance is really right, the board members, there's a good cohesion as far as people being on the same page. And that, for me, has been the biggest strength of a party because if you don't have a real good foundation with people that have a heart for what you're trying to achieve and for that particular state, things can go already quite quickly. So having a really good governance structure in place, having an office where, um, you know, where we're established, where 
consistent uh, staff members involved. That to me speaks volumes. And of course, yes, having a foundation um, that is really solid as far as our governance, our accountability, auditing, all that stuff is really important as well. Um, and then, of course, as Australian Christians, we have this unique position where it's the political side, but then we've got a ministry that runs alongside of it as well. And that's, again, encouraging people to know about God and why we think differently about particular policies and positions. Uh, and then, of course, we're out there uh, encouraging our communities, praying with our communities, pastors, uh, which has been really fantastic for me as well. What's the engagement like with uh, pastors and congregations in Western Australia? As a former uh, executive member and campaigner with the Family First Party, which was not Christian by uh, constitution, but certainly by, by mm. uh, content, there were lots of Christians in the uh, leaders and, and in the candidates, uh, we found mm. it very difficult to get any kind of buy-in and engagement from uh, pastors and pulpits and, and congregations in, mm. throughout Queensland. Uh, yeah. Is that something that you're seeing progress in or is it still a bit of a, a challenge and a hassle for you? You know, the biggest Achilles heel I think so many Christians have is that we're not committed to a lot of things for the long term. And so when I started at AC, even though there's been times where I've gone, that's it, this is my last election, I'm done. Uh, you know, God's just sort of always said to me that there is a real value in consistency and actually running the race and running it well. And so for me, having a longer term commitment to something is important because starting a party raising a party, building a party. People reckon it's just a matter of registering it with the Electoral Commission, but it's not. So because we've seen over the years parties come and go, we're now seeing a lot of churches engage because there's that consistency and people are starting to trust us. Churches are starting to trust us because what we say is matching up with what we do. And that takes a while to foster because, you know, churches and people don't want to touch anything political. But our commitment and consistency, I believe, um, in fostering those relationships over a number of years have actually started uh, mending and building some of those bridges with churches. And I mean, over the last couple of years for us, there's just been a, a massive breakthrough in that arena because we're not just political, political, political. Uh, we're really, truly wanting to build relationships with our community, understand what are the things they're facing, thinking about, feeling? Um, and that stuff takes time. Building relationship and trust takes time. Mm. What, uh, what you said you're the state director of Australian Christians. Is there a federal director? No. We, we used to have a federal director when we had uh, AC in, in a number of states. But, of course, a couple of years ago, our Victorian chapter merged with Corey Bernardi, unfortunately, at the time, uh, forming Australian Conservatives. And, of course, that whole venture fell flat. So, sadly, we lost our Victorian chapter in Victoria or our branch. And mm -hmm. so now we're predominantly based in WA with the hopes of uh, expanding potentially over the next couple of years. Now, tell me about the uh, voting recommendations, the, the preference recommendations that Australian Christians do. Uh, are you going to use the same philosophy this election that you always do? And, and what is that philosophy? Do you choose uh, preferences that you recommend your supporters follow? Your, your preference recommendations, are they based on values, compatibility, 
or is there some other strategic uh, factors which which go into how you recommend voters support on election day? And I'm glad you use the word recommend because, of, of course, that's what they are. They're simply recommendations. This election is probably the most unique one for us because in the past there are certain parties and people that you can deal with, that you can trust. Uh, this time, I'm not going to lie to you, it's really hard. It's really hard to even find, looking at the federal list we have in WA, you know, three parties that you can uh, truly recommend that people follow. And, of course, we know we have to re-educate people's thinking around voting because the more boxes you vote above the line, the better you actually allocate your preferences. And, of course, that takes a while to take people through that. But, yes, for us as a party, it's going to be tricky even finding six to recommend. So we're thinking around a few different strategies at the moment, um, but I know that for us it's very questionable where some of those majors will be, that's for sure. Yeah, that's a, an interesting point. And obviously you're talking about the Senate ballot, the big white one where you've got an option to uh, vote by parties above the line or by individuals in party yes. groups beneath the line. Uh, and, and, yeah, I would recommend with you that people number as many boxes as they can above or beneath the line. Uh, mm. and, and, and I don't want voters to actually consider them as endorsements. When you number somebody at number seven, it, it's just where you would prefer they be as yes. opposed to letting somebody else decide if it comes down to that far. Uh, and, and you might be choosing between the lesser of two evils, but that doesn't mean it's an endorsement of evil. It just means, okay, ranked on, on a scale of suitability from unsuitable to incredibly appalling, um, mm. here's, here's uh, I guess, our preferences, not our mm. endorsements. And I guess historically, even though I agree with that to some extent, there is a level of in people's minds, when you are putting a party as a recommendation on your how to vote guard, especially for us, there's a level of stewardship that people expect from us as a party. So, you know, if we put someone like a really questionable party, let's say Values Party, the Australian Values Party, right, great name, really fantastic frontage. If we put someone like that on our how to vote card, we want to make sure that the policy, the character, the consistency of that party is in place because that's what we're recommending people look at. Mm. Whereas perhaps the other parties won't have an issue, you know, putting whatever party in their top six. But for us, I feel it's a bit, we have to be a bit more careful because people really are looking to us who we affiliate with. And yes, you have to preference someone somewhere. Uh, but for us, it's really important who features in that top six. Uh, but, again, I don't want people to just think one to six. We need people to think one to 20 above the line, one to all boxes above Number the line yep. wherever possible because yep. we have to re-educate people, Dave. <laughs> we can't correct, speak correct. And, and, and to that extent, uh, six is just your minimum above the yes. line uh, and yeah. 12 is just your minimum beneath the line. Yes. Uh, so make sure you number as many as you can because where mm. you stop, that's where your voice stops. Uh, so continue to be in the conversation for as long as that goes to the end of your ballot is uh, yeah. is one way to think about it. Marika, mm. let's move along. Um, what is the uh, – we're going to start with the strengths. Why should people vote for uh, an Australian Christian Party candidate? What are you going to be offering that you think is done better or done uniquely amongst all the other parties? 
Well, the one thing is we've got an established office and we've got people that are actually committed to the state that they're in. And for AC, it's more than pro-life issues. Of course, that forms the heart of the party, but we're actually involved in WA, in legislation, in lobbying members of parliament, working with other organisations intrinsically throughout. So when we had the euthanasia legislation, when we had the Sex Discrimination Act lobbying that had to happen here, when we had, um, even with some of the gender conversion legislation that, that was sort of coming across WA, we've always been involved in the fight directly and actually working with organisations to affect change. I think it's really easy to establish yourself during an election and spruik out outrage and go, this is wrong, this is wrong. And there's a value and a space for that. But actually having a party that is committed in the battles in between election cycles, hopefully before it gets to a piece of legislation, that to me is much more powerful. Um, even in WA with yeah. a lot of the, the mandates, what we're looking at, I don't know how many other parties are actually meeting with members of parliament, keeping a register of inconsistencies taking those inconsistencies to members of parliament and that's something we've been doing. Uh, so for me there's real value in actually backing a party with a good foundation, a good board, a solid structure as far as an office is concerned, staffing is concerned. Uh, that makes a huge difference and being committed to the state you're in. Well let's talk about some of the outrage issues for people who are deciding those votes on them. Uh, vaccine mandates for or against? Uh, we're anti-mandate. So even though it's a state issue and there's a lot of state application, um, federally there's not a lot of people talking about them because it's not a federal issue. But, yes, we've always been anti-mandate. Support people's choice. They should have a choice. Um, but anti-mandate. Not anti-vaccine, though. Right. Um, so with the uh, lockdowns, what about uh, lockdowns as a health precaution to... Uh, keep the borders closed, uh, tell people don't go to work, tell people you can't send your children to school, uh, you have mm. to shut the doors of churches, of course, bottle shops and brothels and abortion clinics, they're fine, no health risk there. Um, yeah. what, what's your lockdown policy? Yeah, well, we joked about it earlier because, of course, we here had uh, an instance where you can go to Aldi and buy your groceries, but you can't access or buy alcohol within Aldi. So it's like, what, does, does Omicron hang out in the bottle shops as that's where it is? So, again, it's for us raising awareness of the inconsistencies. And, of course, you know, through some, some creative lobbying and through different organisations getting involved, they overturn that. But, of course, we're wiser now. You see, six months, two years ago, we didn't know what we were dealing with. So people were sort of going, okay, we're just going to roll with this and trust that the government's making the right decisions but as time's gone on and we're a bit wiser now and even in WA we're realising even a year ago there is no current state of emergency. So there is no reason for lockdowns. There, there's no reason for that. So, again, state application but, but not something that we would support at this stage at all. A federal application. What about the accessibility by the states of the federally administrated immunisation database? Well, you'd think federal trumps state law, but at the end of the day, the health legislation is up to states. I mean, we wouldn't be supportive of something like that. Let's now talk about the uh, Australian Christians' liabilities. Marika, what areas of weakness do you think uh, mm -hmm. other people would identify in Australian Christian candidates? What would be the 
the areas perhaps the the major parties or some of the other minor parties uh, mm. might be um, more attractive to some voters on? Yeah, well, I guess it's the age-old thing where people assume, you know, you are a Christian party and so is that only for Christians? And so over the years we've spent a fair bit of uh, just education and building relationships with our communities to go, well, hey, this is actually what sits behind Australian Christians as far as community development concern, as far as our policies are concerned. So it's more than just for Christians. But, of course, it it it, it implies the philosophy, um, how we look at things and how we apply ourselves. So even though some people might go, well, is it only for Christians? You know, we don't want to touch that, especially because there's been so much controversy around some things Christian over the last couple of weeks even. Um, there mm. is still that weariness for people. But once they meet the people, get to know us, uh, I think, a fair bit of that that fear tends to be be um, nullified a bit because people go, okay, well, they're not just Christians for Christians. They're actually with that viewpoint but a heart for, for the broader community. Okay, case by case around the parties. Um, Mareka, pros and cons of the federal Liberal Party. Uh, what do you think are the areas that they're particularly good at and doing well at? Uh, put your commentary hat on. Uh, what should a voter be attracted to in the Liberal Party and, and what should a voter be wary of in the Liberal Party? Well, one of the disappointing things for us um, has been we keep we keep saying that there is value of having Conservatives and Christians in the Liberal Party, and I'm not saying that's not right, but on many issues, even with this freedom issue over the last little while with the religious discrimination bill, especially in WA, I just wonder why members of parliament aren't more vocal on certain things, especially if it's something um, over here like when we were going through some of the mandates and, and talking about the freedom aspect of things, religious expression, etc. I just feel that's been so disappointing and it might be something that, that they support but they can't be vocal about it. So I wonder where comes that line where you can say what you truly feel and believe uh, without, you know, having to toe the party line. And so I've seen that a bit more over the last couple of years. People are a bit more careful in WA what they say and how they say it because McGowan over here has enjoyed such a big, um, he's so popular, many people have, haven't been that vocal um, against what's been going on here. And then, of course, with the religious discrimination. And by people you mean Liberal members of Parliament? Yeah, Liberal members of Parliament. And, look, I know it's it's... Probably one of those instances where you go, if you're in their shoes, you probably would be doing something different. But I've gone, hang on. If I see there is injustice and I truly believe that something is wrong, surely we can have the freedom to at least express it. But that conversation and that participating in the conversation uh, has almost been non-existent in WA. Yeah. Yeah, I think you're right. Um, the... It's a mistaken philosophy that yes. you can't distinguish yourselves from the popular yeah. government. It was like, well, hang on, why? <laughs> why would anybody change if you're no different? If you're not distinguishing yourself? Yeah. Um, so I, I think it's um, mistaken political philosophy there, and, and maybe not cowardice. Maybe cowardice is, is too strong a word. But we've been here before. This was essentially Whitelock Whitlam one. Um, when he did was because the Liberal Party of his day 
uh, thought mm. competing for the middle ground was was how they could win government, and it was actually by product differentiation, by by being different, that uh, that True. the Liberal Party came into power after Gough Whitlam. And um, I thought it would be an opportunity for them to actually, especially in WA, embolden some of those people who are. Uh, you know, conservative supporters, that even if there was one person who came out in support of their constituency to go, man, I know how hard it is for you guys yeah. to be losing your jobs and what you are going through. I mean, not one, Dave, you know. And so I look at these things and I go, hang on, we reward people with our recommendations and our preferences. And, yes, it's been a tough gig over the last couple of years, but it doesn't mean you remove yourselves from the conversation. You can't. Uh do you have the National Party in Western Australia? Yes, so we've got, um, yeah, they're in a, a grouping with the Liberals over here. So, yeah, few of them left. <laughs> and, and what about the National Party federally? Uh, mm. Do you see any strengths or weaknesses in, in their policy offerings? Mm. Well, Mia Davies, who's the leader of the Nats over here, they've been probably more so, I guess, because they're in a coalition in a loose sense with the Libs over here. They have been pushing back on some of the mandate stuff, but, you know, it's a skeleton skeleton staff for them and for the Libs. So even though some of that, um, you know, against mandates, against masks are coming through, it's it's actually not making its way into the correct channels. Uh, they're probably trying, but because they're working more closely together, it's probably not as loud as they want it to be. But um, I've definitely heard more from Mia um, over the last little while than I ever have, which is a good thing. However it happens. Uh, <laughs> yes. and tell me about uh, Pauline Hanson's One Nation Party. What are their policy and candidate offerings like in, in Western Australia and, and federally? How do you yeah. rate them as a party? Hmm. Look, we've always had a good relationship with One Nation. Federally, I can't sort of speak too much on that. But from a state point of view, certainly the previous executive um, really got along with them. There's a lot of alignment in, uh, especially with pro-life policies. Again, like many parties, you know, there's such a range in candidates. And of course, not everybody uh, within One Nation is, you know, conservative or pro-life. And I, I get that. But generally speaking, we've had a, a good working relationship with them. Um, and I, I think for us, even this time around, you know, I'm sure that will continue. Do you see any, um, I guess, why would you think, uh, as a commentator, why do you think yeah. uh, One Nation is a, a second best choice to Australian Christians? Well, look, it might not be a second best choice, but just with having a bit of track record on, not that I always agree with what um, One Nation says, not that I always agree with what Pauline says, but you know what? It takes guts to go against the stream and I can totally commend that in mm. all of what's happened over the last couple of years, at least there's been a voice, at least there's been someone in Parliament willing to go, well, hang on, we need to look at this a bit more carefully. And so even though I can't say, yeah, we'll recommend them second or whatever, I really do appreciate and respect that that is what politics is. When there's a battle of ideas, you need to be willing to nail your colours to the mast, and Pauline does that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think anybody can respect that. What do you think, uh, compare One Nation to the United Australia Party and the Liberal Democrats um, and, and any other minor party? Uh, where do you think... Um, they sit in the Freedom Parties. Yeah. 
look, it's always tricky to comment on other parties and I'm, I'm, it's, yeah, you don't want to be disrespectful. But look, the Liberal Democrats for us, even though their Freedom Manifesto reads well, looks well, some of it I'm going, great, That's we even support some of that. Um, I just know in WA, because they're libertarian, um, there are things that actually do come in conflict with conservative values. So if you're a Christian and you're part of someone like the Liberal Democrats, you have to be okay with the fact that uh, vaping and drug use and euthanasia, all those things are okay within those parties. So there are certain philosophical things that I just don't agree with the Liberal Democrats and I think people need to be careful to actually make freedom the the biggest thing above all it's important but there's more to freedom than just what some of these parties are spruiking um and i think it's the same with with clive palmer's party great candidates in some of those parties but again he pops up during an election um i feel in wa a lot of it is often very reactionary picking up on public sentiment just fielding people quickly for the sake of fielding them. And then what then? You know, there's there's no Palmer in between elections. There's no Palmer in a state election. It's really just plonked into a federal election and that's it. You don't see or hear of them really ever after a federal election. So I think people need to be very careful that, yes, there are a lot of people mobilised around the freedom issue, but even for us, it goes beyond just spruiking freedom. You know, we need to look at it in its entirety, what that means in between election cycles, freedom of expression, freedom of speech, freedom of choice, conscience. You have to have more to freedom than just those few things. And I think with Palmer and the Liberal Democrats, even though the Lib Dems have been around for a while, philosophically everything doesn't really align with, with Christian values, even though it's an expression thing, but I don't know, I'd, I'd be a bit... A bit careful with them over here. Um, they did vote in favour of euthanasia, which was pretty disappointing for us. Yes. Um, what other minor parties should we talk about and survey uh, that you think are, are possibly mm -hmm. going to be attracting some right-wing votes in um, your neck of the woods? Well, without being, um, I'm going to be a bit bold here and I can only share it because it's truthful. And we've had a lot of people in WA, I'm not sure for you guys, but who um, have been following some of these, uh, the Great Australia Party, of course, Rod Cullerton, who used to be One Nation. And then, of course, um, there was some financial woes there. So he was uh, exited the party. And of course, Great Australia Party is still around with a lot of people not understanding uh, that Rod Cullerton's dealings, even with some of our membership in some of our farming communities here, they're not comfortable with that. So I think people need to be very careful, again, even though a frontage of something might look and sound really good, uh, we do need to look a bit of at the leadership and the track record of, of those people um, and whether they actually are eligible to stand as a candidate because some of these leaders of these parties are actually... Uh, from the Electoral Commission point of view, ineligible to stand because of their financial issues. So, yeah, something to be very mindful of. Yeah, that's true. That is that is very true. Uh, uh, yeah, well said. I share these things based on my experience over the years in doing preference deals, working with parties, but that's my two cents worth. No one's perfect. Uh, we're not perfect, but, you know, we need to go into these things with open eyes, that's for sure. Well, that's why we're doing this. It's a it's an honest survey um, intended to be as helpful as possible, because the reality is that most people don't do their homework, uh, and <laughs> no. they 
prefer to insulate their echo chamber rather than shatter them. So hopefully there's a yes. whole bunch of people that we've offended uh, between <laughs> us because um, I, would, I would rather lose a friend telling them the truth than keep a friend by lying to them or, or I agree. letting them live in, in ignorance. Um, Maybe so, that's why I only have two left, Dave. <laughs> Maybe that's the issue. The, the whole purpose of this survey is to tell the truth and to be upfront so that we can have a better right-wing vote, a better concentration and preference yes. flow, uh, and, and we can make wise choices properly yes. stewarding our vote as individuals uh, mm. because, yeah, Persisting in ignorance is is just not helpful for the nation. It's not helpful for your family or your business no. or your neighbours. So no, um, we'll no. tell the truth and uh, and let people investigate for themselves, get on their knees, open their Bible, talk to their friends and make a decision. Absolutely. Yeah, couldn't agree with that more. Thank you very much for your time, Mareka, and uh, happy hunting in the federal election. Thank you. I'll keep you posted. You can guess who he's voting for. But it's only one vote, the same as anyone else's. When counting starts, it's soon obvious that there's a big swing against the government. The people have voted in one of the closest elections in Australia's history.